I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite podcast on the internet. Gamers Editorial Roundtable Podcast. I am Scott Wefter, and with me tonight are my co-hosts. I'm Sam. Why am I here? I'm Trent, and I don't believe in asking existential questions. <laughs> I'm Mac, and I think she was literally asking where she was because we can't seem to find her. <laughs> or not. Yeah. I don't know. There we go. So stuff we are here to talk about today is uh mainstreaming the jrpg we do we think that how we think the jrpg can uh attain greater mainstream visibility and not feel so weird to ask for when you go into the game stop and Uh, yeah the number one reason for that are these awful names nobody localizes names anymore they all stay the same as the japanese names well no, I think the ones that are the the ones that are criminal is I I can I can totally understand leaving it like Tokiden whatever Densetsu. I'm like whatever. No, it's it's this word salad English nonsense. Like what is a guided fate paradox? Uh, We're still trying to figure that one out. How about like a, what is it? Awakened fate ultimatum? Oh god, yes. <laughs> Yeah, that that's got to be hard. You go into the GameStop and you're like, I want Awakened Fate Ultimatum. And the person looks at you and be like, huh? Uh, or when you go into pre-ordering anything and you have to spell more than two words in the title. That happens to me anytime I go get an Atelier game. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Actually, I found out, according to Shally, it's Atelier. Yeah, no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Dude, first free thought, though. So, oh. you know. Sorry. It's like someone yeah. saying that the that the Yves games or Wise games. <laughs> Those ones I, are my I had favorite. A conversation with someone once. I was. Have you played Wise Seven? And I was like, Yves? like W I S E. No, Wise Seven. I was like, Yves Seven. No. <laughs> okay, and I guess, and I guess not the plural of wives. Yeah. <laughs> It is. It is. Uh, it is the possessive of the letter Y. It is wise thing. It's okay. I mean, it's all you have no to remember. <laughs> all you have to remember is it's it's that guy with the red hair and the sword. That's totally how you should describe it at GameStop. And no apostrophe. <laughs> no apostrophe. Okay, so well, I guess we should sort of define a few parameters. Like, what what do we really think is a success rate for a air quotes mainstream? Is it just copies sold, or is it just sort of a broader audience appeal? I I, I suppose part of it is variety. They know that sold, right? So I I would suggest that Final Fantasy. I suggest that Final Fantasy, um, although it's not the most lauded franchise among JRPGers, uh, would be King would be one of the most premium RPGs that the entry tends to sell an upwards of 3 million units every you know oh, Trent's gone yeah, um, Mac, your, your ideas on this? <laughs> yes as far as the success rate goes, I think in this day and age and I think a lot of it is uh, probably what Trent was getting at or would talk about um there are certain games that are going to hit a successful you know popularity rate and those tend to be final fantasy kingdom hearts those say, are... anything with a legacy generally because it's well I, I think that's part of the problem though is i think we have two we have a 
we, we have two two franchises from one house yeah. that just have name recognition. And sure, people buy that and they know the name, but it's not like, um, you know, it's not like there's a broader awareness of, say, Disgaea or, you know, the fact that the Persona cult favorite and critical darling status hasn't really spilled over anywhere. It's, it's kind it, of like, a tough Like, we have choice. this, we have this one pedestal and everything else is this obscure, it's... mucky darkness. Well, and here, here's the thing. I, I think it's really a combination of things. Like, we talked about the fact that it could be a legacy. You could look at something like Dark Souls, where that became a case of critical acclaim with good review scores on top of, um, the fact that it hit the hardcore gaming crowd pretty hard. Um, hitting all their nodes. Um, and just sales, Right? You also have just the fact, as Trent said, there's a broad appeal. And if you look at those three categories, there is something for each one. I'm not saying that, you know, it, it fixes the fact that there are titles that stand up on top for each category. It's just a case of, you're right, how do we express things like Persona having occult favoritism? How, how come that hasn't escalated in the same way something like Dark Souls has? Um, and I guess we'll sort of try to unpack that in different ways. And I guess the second question is, uh, uh, are we in fact begging the question, do we want this? Because obviously the niche is well served. I mean, how many games are on our, are on our coverage list for this year? 130? <laughs> no, yeah, there's plenty less of than niche that, games. but yeah. It's a lot of niche. Like, are they the, all the, good? Yeah. I'm, like play, I'm any, playing a fantastic well, one, Mac. Here's the thing. Dude Bro Shooter has, you know, a lot of games coming out for it this year, and very few of them are good, too. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, we we get a lot of what comes out in Japan in English somehow. Well, let's think about it, though. In some situations, it's a case of what can we localize on the cheap seas to keep us afloat for the bigger titles that we're trying to work on. Well, I mean, there, there's that business element, but it's just like, yeah, the people who want it can generally get it, and Absolutely. isn't that good enough? It's, it's, it's a tough call. I mean, if you look at the stuff we were getting back in the PS2 era versus now, I mean, what kind of major difference do you see? Because one of the big ones I'm noticing more and more is just, we're getting a lot of fan service JRPGs, because that is something that is well, cheap, easy appeal, and to be honest, you don't have to put a lot of work into it. Well, I think, well, there's a certain sort of, I don't I don't want to say fan service is easy, because if you do it wrong, it goes catastrophically wrong. Oh, no, I disagree, but they still sell. I mean, I think I think it's a soft sell to the niche, but mm -hmm. I think uh, that, I guess this sort of comes, we're, we're, we're going to get into this whole little fan service mod, business model in a second, but I think... I'm I'm just gonna say it right now that the biggest stumbling block for the JRPG in the West is straight up money. Yeah. Like production budgets uh, for games have hit the point that the Japanese market can't support something with all of the bells and whistles, and you've seen them retreat to the handhelds out of necessity, and when they should be chasing a worldwide audience. And I I'm I, I'm actually gonna push back against that. Because imagine a world where all of the developers and publishers in the Far East have all the money they need to translate and localize and well-market, uh, high-definition, AAA-quality games, and they continue to try and push it out to American audiences. I honestly think that they're going to sell just as well as they sell now, because that's basically the format that most of the Final Fantasy uh, number of titles have taken. And they have an audience, and it's a large audience relative to the rest of the JRPG niche, but it's still not really caught on with most Western gamers. And I think that's more to do... I think that... I think down to Western gamers having different sensibilities. Well, maybe like, different sensibilities, and the fact, again, we're looking at something like Final Fantasy. It has a legacy. It's one of the oldest RPGs to be out in the West. Therefore, it can garner a larger name than, let's say, something like Neptunia. Well, here, here's my point, though, is... But, 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 but the thing is, the, the, the point that I'm trying to make is, when I talk to people that don't play JRPGs, or even RPGs in, in general, general yeah. they don't they don't tell me that they ignore the games because there's not enough of them that come out or they aren't good enough quality. They tell me that they don't play those games because they're too slow or they're too monotonous or they're too repetitive. Yeah. 
or they're too story driven and they're more interested in games that are like world and action oriented yeah, the story driven well, part where friends and sensibility yeah no yeah. I, and i agree with that completely yeah the story driven part's the one thing that i get a lot of times is i've got mm -hmm. a friend that will play every halo and every assassin's creed and he'll tell me all about the stories of those games yet when it comes to any rpg whatsoever if it's not you know, mostly action with just a few cutscenes here and there. He's like, no, it's just too much story and dialogue and wow. stuff like that. And I'm like, you're playing through other games that are very cinematic heavy. They've got story and dialogue. What is the difference for you? I think, and it's just the stigma a lot of times that, well, oh, think, well, that's an RPG. Well, I, well, I think there's a stigma. And there's also uh, this notion that uh, Extra Credits brought up called Awesome Per Minute. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, JRPG combat can be very slow or just recycle the same animations, which decreases your awesome, or that the way they tell their stories is very languid. And I yes. mean, that's true for a lot of Japanese games. Like, I mean, Persona's pretty bad at telling a story with these long, drawn-out dialogue sequences, but so is Metal Gear Solid. Well, and, you know, funny enough, you bring that up because you've always said to me as a joke, anytime I play an Atelier game, Scott will always tell me, this is not a spectator sport. And he is 100% Well, I, call, I also call it a dad spreadsheet game, just well, wearing and, short and, and that's the thing. You know, I look at some games in the Western RPG market, and let's face it, something like Dragon Age or something like Mass Effect, they're so much easier on the eyes to want to watch somebody else play. Why? Because you, you as a viewer also have the same level of interactivity in some ways. I find that if I'm watching Scott play a Western RPG, I am oddly more invested. I don't know if I could explain why that is, but you know, when I'm playing a Japanese RPG, you know, anyone who's sitting with me and watching me play it, they're probably bored out of their skulls. Well, I mean, <laughs> like, I, I just want you to be honest with yourself and track down one of Anna's streams of, an, of whichever atelier she was playing on Twitch, and honestly say if you, you're enjoying observing her dicking around with crafting systems for hours on end. Well, and that's just it. I think with there are JRPGs that could be interesting. I think in a lot of cases, you know, like, I don't know. It's, which ones? Which games? Which JRPGs would you actually want to watch someone play? Weirdly enough, and I've, I've done it, I've watched people play Nier. And Nier was an interesting case where that's it, the story is told in a really interesting way and the combat is engaging enough but it plays enough like an action game that you've got the visual stimulants going at the same time whereas i play an atelier game and i feel sorry usually for the person beside me if they're watching me because <laughs> it's boring as sin to watch i i, I just, at this point i'm just starting to resent the cursor makes a noise yes <laughs> Oh my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they, I mean, this is a hallmark that this is sort of a sacred cow of JRPGs that the cursor makes a noise because that's your feedback, I guess. But it's still like, oh god, the cursor makes a noise. And, and that's just it. I feel like, funny enough, when I play an Atelier game, I'm obviously having ten times more fun playing it than I am watching somebody else do it. Well, and I, I, I have watched streams of the Bloodborne's and. You know, it's it's intriguing, and, you know, one of these decades, From Software is going to figure out how to not dump and reload the textures every time you move between zones or die. Well, and that's I, that just has to be what, that has to be why the loading screen's an hour and a half long in that game. See, and that's just <laughs> it. I think it's one of those things where if you watch somebody do a Let's Play, usually of a Japanese RPG, you're not really watching them for the enjoyment factor. It's usually because you're stuck. And you want the yeah. fastest solution ever to get out of it. And I know I've I mean, done I, that plenty of times. I, I guess, like, watchability kind of plays into it. But for me, I always see it as an instant gratification yes. versus slow burn kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I play, I, I play RPGs, more specifically JRPGs, because I want something to suck me in for, like, 60 to 90 hours. And I want to have to think about everything and contemplate my next move whereas i don't think the western mainstream gaming market i think there's a lot of jrpgs well i think there's a lot of jrpgs that can't quite do that i think there's a lot of jrpgs where you fall into a rut where you may as well be running on a gambit system you're just gonna mash a until you see someone that needs healing you'll get into a rote of buff spells even if you can't script those already and i mean 
I, I mean, I think there are games that do a much better job and a much more interesting job of presenting that. And I think uh, even something... And the fact that the formula works for non-Japanese developers, like South Park Stick of Truth, doesn't outstay as welcome, and it actually encourages you to mix things up all the time throughout combat. And also, it uses, funny enough, a JRPG's formula. I just said No, no, that. sorry, but <laughs> I'm half listening. That, that, Ugh, sorry, that's sorry, how but... I led into that discussion. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> Oh, you did a good job recapping. <laughs> Going back to one of the other things that y'all were talking about, though, is when you think about this, it's a lot of times similar to a book. You know, you're not going to sit and watch somebody read a book and get any enjoyment out of it. You know, even if you're glancing over and reading, you know, every other page, you don't get as much out of it that way. And nobody's going to sit down and try to consume media in that fashion. So, Although, if Keith David is going to read me a book, I'll, I'll, I'll buy that. <laughs> or for that matter, if Ice-T is going to read me a Drizzo Orton short story. I can get I behind would that. Pay, I would pay good money for that. Yes. It, it did it happen. It did happen. You can... Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Okay, there's, a, there's an anthology of Drizzo Orton stories where they got a whole bunch of celebrities and Ice-T is one of them. He can't pronounce sword. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> but you know what, Mac? I 100% agree with your point. I mean, playing a JRPG is, in a way, like reading a book. There is that, if it doesn't grab you right away, it's it's that slow burn to start. And when it does hook you, you know, you want to kind of progress and you want to see where it goes. I haven't felt that way about a lot of this gen's RPGs, but when, you know, in the PS2 era and even the PS1 era, I had games where that was exactly the hook. I had the start of the slow burn, and then I went further because I, I wanted to explore what the rest of the story or what the rest of the combat was going to present me with or just yeah. what kind of trials and tribulations I was going to face. I don't have that same sense of love that I used to for the JRPG um, it, with this generation of consoles. Well, And, I think, and I'm struggling with it because I want to find ones well, that I Well, I think like. these past two generations, really, and I think that comes into, um, I, I can't even remember who coined this phrase, but I think it's beautiful and wonderful and it's called the he called it the Moe Industrial Complex, where you generate media <laughs> with cute girls that can that conform to really easily uh, att easily attractive archetypes that appeal to specific tastes, and then you just milk it to death on as many formats as you can. And I yeah. think Neptunia is a really good example where you've got this immediate like. Oh, all the girls are like consoles or media platforms. Hey, you giggled over Thunder Tits. Yeah, it was it was funny for one game. Yeah, but there was, it found it, it it found its audience, and now everyone well, loves Nepgear because she's so kawaii, and I want you know. And you know, there's poor Trent and I who tried to the... play Mugen Souls, and we were both so uncomfortable and felt uh, so dirty playing well, it. And that's for it. the same reason. And I now, did, and now, Neptunia has gone yeah. from this one-off joke about the like, game like, industry, game industry without a real point, into this multimedia Doom franchise that will not die. And that's a case of it sells and, well. Well, that's it though. It doesn't just sell yeah, and, games. And, yep. It sells figures. Oh yeah. It sells, it sells it all. Drama CDs. It sells. I'm sure there's an anime by now. Nope. There's Within nothing. a year. Actually, I'm going to tell you something funny. The Atelier series got an anime series before Neptunia did. The Atelier series has been around for forever, too. So I think but weirdly, the, Matt, the first time it got an anime series was actually for Eska and Logi. That's pretty late. Uh, here, here's the thing. I, I, I don't think JRPGs are going to have an easy time mainstreaming themselves or ever recapturing even the audience they may have once had because modern JRPGs... Kind of have no, an they're stuck in the crisis. same run. There are there are the JR there are the JRPGs that drift so far into like uh, Moe, and then there are the JRPGs that you know try and become something other than a like JRPG. Bloodborne, like at this point, Bloodborne so and then, is survival and, horror. And then there and then there are the JRPGs that are so fixated on being JRPGs that they're yeah. cliche. I want to go back to that middle one. Which one are you saying is going beyond? Being I would a say the I would say the From Software there. action RPG is a really well, good example I would of that because it is just yeah. blending survival horror and Metroidvania, and it it is now sort of its own little niche genre 
that even has in has, has its imitators with Lords of the Fallen now. Yeah. Anything from you, Trent, that you had in mind specifically when you were saying that? Because I agree with Scott. Well, 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 I mean, like, th like things like Near, for instance, to me, like, I know everyone and their dog loves that game. I'm not a big fan myself. But when I play it, it's like this is a JRPG trying really hard to be an adventure game. Near was the bizarre case where it didn't know what it wanted to be. Also a top down. Yeah. Also yeah. an isometric RPG. In theory, um, kind of a neat idea, but near is its own, it was also yeah. kind of a mess. Yeah, near, yeah, near and mainstream are the two <laughs> least. But the main you know, character is so buff. That's thing what I, was you know what? I feel like yeah. we have to give near some credit yeah. because we have an old man protagonist wanna... who's not like yeah. Except you know, they sold. They also sold yeah. it. With I know with the Bishonin. Bishonin little sister. Complex. Well, I'm happy yeah. we got well, buff Hercules esque man who looks like he's 80 yeah. and could still f yeah. with you. I don't want to get caught up. I know. I don't want to get caught up on near because the one example I was going to bring up to uh, Trent's suggestion of those categories mm -hmm. is Xenoblade because I feel like it is one that has kind of made a transition because it branches out and takes some of the Western mentality of you know has an open world, has lots of quests. Very, um, it's not necessarily what I'd call MMO like, but it does have a whole lot of the western structure that you see you know saving anywhere fast travel things like that that have really brought western rpgs into the mainstream and the reason that people enjoy playing those and having that kind of freedom offered up in the same kind of you know jrpg framework and i think that's one thing that kind of hinders it nowadays mm -hmm. is the look not just the moe stuff not just you know all of the the fan servicey stuff but i think the look of a lot of JRPGs well, I, really is I mean, what people I, there are definitely a, and, there are definitely a family of JRPGs where it's just like I look at the color palettes they've chosen and it's just jam a, jam a corkscrew in my eye to stop the pain and I mean obviously we have the far extreme in the Western world of everything is, is brown. brown teal and orange but <laughs> well and that's just it I mean it's hard not to go into a game store and when you see some of the JRPGs there. Uh, immediately kind of be turned off by just even how the box art looks. Um, you know, I remember going into an EB with Adrian. He wanted to buy me Time and Eternity as a wedding present because he's a jerk. Um, and the guy at the counter just said that the cover made him uncomfortable, even though it was just this really pretty palette picture of these two girls. He goes, they look like they could be lesbians. I'm like, well, they're the same person. He was like, I'm uncomfortable now. Yeah. Well, and some of that is even just the the story and character tropes they rely on are off-putting, I want to say. Well, when you have a main character who wants well, to have a menage not, a not, time, time and Eternity <laughs> is a special corner of hell. <laughs> but there are sort of... Yeah. There, there are just certain character types where it's like, so this is just a... Like, you've sort of taken a wrong turn in on your internet, well, searching you know, and found the porn that you don't get, and you're just sort of like... But there, there, there's something to that, though, because to us and our Western sensibilities, that is, I would argue, somewhat perverse and kind of a turnoff because it's but so But in Japan, they love it. And, and I'm, not trying, I'm not trying to suggest that all Japanese people find that appealing, but it's clearly meant for a different well, market. Well, and that's right? just it. They understand that that's yeah. what their market likes. I think where publishers in America have the problem, it's... How do they make it appealing to those who might not want to try it? Like, well, and not I don't so much want to try it, but how can they make it appealing for somebody else who maybe isn't as familiar? If you look at something like Disgaea, you know, Disgaea has this kind of look to it that's, I wouldn't say it's very moe compared to some of the other stuff out there. Um, but the kind of gameplay, I could easily see lots of people being well, turned off. Like, by it, that. well, here's the thing I think the gameplay, if you just made it like orcs and goblins and generic night dudes, I think it'd find a space. And that space actually would be smaller yeah. because it doesn't have sort of the otaku bait trappings to it. That's true. Like, I mean, uh, there's like... Uh, like, you like this guy more than I do. Like, what what, what was it? Like, uh, like there's plenty of dungeon crawlers oh, I'm in, sick of dungeon in, crawlers. in the JRP sphere, G-sphere. And some of those work out... And I I will actually credit that they do better than Grimrock, not just because they don't feature transforming dinosaurs, but because uh, that they are sort of have this odd 
they have a built-in appeal, a built-in cachet because of the anime aesthetic. Okay. And I think there, there's that weird push and pull. There, there's a weird tug of war where you could make this generico fantasy game and it would just sort of get lost in the crowd behind your Dragon Ages and your Witchers. Whereas you have a sexy witch in a dungeon crawler, hey, but you could make some money. Sexy witches, that that's different. And Well, sex sells, and that's definitely true, because the popularity of games like, you know, Sinran Kagura uh, and, I, it you know, even me. Sword Art Online has, you know, some Sword sexy Art. things going on, and Akibus Trip no. and things like that. The anime, the the sexiness it of sells. the anime, and that kind of look is is popular, and it works, and it does sell. And whether we like it or not, you know, there's a market out there for it, okay. and it's gonna get and okay. So something noticed. I kind of wanted to discuss is: Are you okay? Are you guys on board with saying that JRPGs are kind of I don't I need a better word for it, but juvenile in one way or another, where they are either sort of this really sort of pandery, ooh, sexy panties everywhere, or even just the fact that it is, you know, this this upbeat, teenager-friendly sort of premise. Like, I mean... There's not as many, that's for sure. But I, I mean, the even like Tales, like even wrote say something Tales about is just this really too. optimistic, rah-rah, Power Rangers sort of story, friendship. Friendship always wins. And... Yeah. That's why well, you know games. what? <laughs> I can agree with that sentiment because I feel like, again, when we look at the PS1 era and the PS2 era, we had actually less of that. Well, I, I, I think there's a certain profound immaturity to all of the PS1 Final Fantasies that, yeah, it's not rah-rah friendship except for Nine, but yeah. uh, Cloud and Squall are still coming from a very adolescent viewpoint, which is great when you're an adolescent and is frustrating at any point after. Well, I mean, I'm thinking more of games like, and I'm going to use Valkyrie Profile and Sweet Coden as examples. They are incredibly mature for what they are, based on what well, they're even, offering to even the players. Even Final Fantasy Tactics or yeah. a lot of the Fire Fire Emblems are dealing with mature and literarily realistic stories. Yeah, whereas, you're right, if you look at something even like Star Ocean, there is a juvenile sense of, of what is happening in those games and... You know, when they try to have some maturity to them, and I'm thinking more of 3 in this situation. 3 is the worst offender for being just, it is, oh my god, we're friends, and oh my god, I'm a teenager, and I'm learning to be a teenager. And it's great to have teenagers being teenagers. Well, that I think but, that's the, that is the appeal and the success of Persona. Yes. These are games written by Japanese people and intended yes. to appeal to us. Uh, a, a, a widely Japanese audience, right? Mm -hmm. So, of course, there's going to be tacky humor that doesn't always fly. Of course, there are going to be characters with fairly thin motivations. Of course, there are going to be somewhat juvenile characters because the game is a T for teen game. But think game, about it, Trent, usually, though. Are you not noticing now with the PS3 and PS4, for example, the level of juvenile JRPGs as compared to what we had in the past? Or do you think it's on par? Because I think that's actually a tough statement to make. We, we can't, we can't, we can't actually, we can't actually say We haven't really, I know, I'm realizing. How many, how many JRPGs are the, the only JRPGs I can think of on the PS4 are, are Type Zero on SNES game, and neither of those, well, I would say, are Wait till the, uh, there's that wonderful game coming out next week, Trent. Omega Quartet, that one. That, that that's the thing that's on our site right now. That 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 game is a parody of Japan. It it, it can't be real. <laughs> but well, think about think about this. This is one thing I would like to know, and it may answer your question. Like the ESA just recently put out the study within America that said the average age of a gamer now is mm -hmm. thirty five years old. I would imagine that possibly could skew a little bit well, lower probably. in Japan. And that's what they've always aimed for with a lot of games and a lot of RPGs is a teenage age range. And that's yeah. what they've that's what the focus has been for the longest amount of times. So you're aiming from like, you know, maybe sixteen, yeah. early twenties at the early, at the oldest. But things have changed over the years and I don't think we've seen, you know, the level of something like the Japanese version of The Witcher. We haven't seen anything close to that. You know, Trent 
he wrote an editorial just recently about the maturity and about the violence within Final Fantasy Type-0. That aspect of the game, the fact of how it handled death, how it handled that kind of stuff, was powerful. But the rest of that game, you know, you still had a bunch of teenagers. They were still in a school. They were doing that. And that's a very, very typical setting that you see in these games. Like a boarding school, is, yeah. You know, it's 18 years old at the oldest. You know, if you have somebody in his 20s or 30s, he's a grizzled I'm about veteran. To be pushed out of the you know, zone. yeah, I'm. I am a year under. I'm 34. I'm just about to turn 35 in a few months, and I'm just you know slightly under that age range. So you know, I'm the equivalent of like a JRPG grandpa. Yeah, and that's not count, what you see. Count down oh, to hey, no, he's just going to grow a mustache. Yeah. He's just going to go. His mustache is just going to turn gray, and he's going to become a mentor figure to a bunch of scrappy teenagers who believe in friendship. And then die on the quest where I send them <laughs> out to help Scrappy teenagers them. with attitude that transform into costumes can, that form jar. Can you guys make like lumberjanes the RPGs? Yeah. I feel like you would do such a great job. Well, and I mean, this is it. Like the fact <laughs> you mentioned the demographics and something I've been I've spotted in Western gaming is the take your daughter to murder genre, oh, and that's God. more of a storytelling mode than a game genre. But, like, you have <laughs> The Walking Dead and The Last of Us, widely praised by critics, because it tickles the fancy of men who are getting older. And kids, and they're like, hey, uh, I'd be this kind of dad. Like, this is the dad I would be in the zombie apocalypse. And, I mean, the games are very well told in a lot of ways, but Japan has never sort of asked you to step into the role of a father figure. And, I mean, I'm, I will actually say that Nier is not a father figure, because... His that response, was the American version anyways. So. No, well, <laughs> his response to having American a daughter focused. is to wander off and do adventurer type stuff, and then your loading screens are... Go little, save your daughter. ...our little sister complex stuff that's weird. Hmm. But then you have something like... Okay, I was thinking Lost Odyssey in the way in which some of the narratives yeah, yeah. are told. Um, because in that game, I mean, you do have some really beautiful and mature sort of story elements that, again, you don't see very often anymore. And especially because a lot of the characters in the game, thankfully, are also older than, you know, 21. Yeah, um, that was that was a mature title. Yeah. And, I mean, I haven't finished it yet, and it's something I will get to eventually, but I remember bawling my eyes out just listening to some of the stories being told because they're incredibly well thought out. They They give the emotion in such a way that you can be captured by it. And, again, you don't see a lot of JRPGs pushing the limit in their storytelling to evoke feeling. Or, and that's why I'm frustrated with, well, with mean, what JRPGs are right now. It, or if they're evoking uh, feeling, they're evoking a different set of feelings. Yes. Like, they're, they're yeah, aiming for I, a very different set yeah. of feelings. It's like, I, would, I, would, I would say that JRPGs still aim to evoke feeling, but all about the negative bill, and if you are not but you know what i think of you know i played atelier tutori and tutori i think is a fantastic example of again you look at the game it doesn't seem like it has a level of maturity to it but the storytelling in totori is actually one of the best parts of the game because but it's a girl who is coming out of her shell i could relate to her but yeah, again but i don't think men could well no it, it's still very much a coming of age story yeah and you I know you you connect it with it a lot because it involves dead parents, but it is well not so much dead parents. She's looking for a parent, and it turns out the parent is dead. Yeah, but it is it is not an adult burying his father. It is no. a teenager on their own, which just sort of enhances that that fantasy of I'm 15, but I own my own stuff, and I'm going to change the world and make yeah. my country better. That go go can do what what's going on at the loose the youth center. But for Totori's credit. The one thing it does well is the fact that, yes, it's a coming-of-age story, but what I love about it is the fact that Totori matures very quickly in the story, and she becomes very self-aware of what's around her and what what is changing. Unlike a lot of the other Atelier heroines who are just like, la la la, things are happening, what do I do? Um, stuff, okay. And it, 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 it frustrates me to no end. You know, I look at something like Valkyrie Profile, and that's a game where it immediately starts on a mature end. And it's all about death. <laughs> everybody oh. dies, and everybody dies in unique circumstances. And there's a lot of adult characters, just as there's a lot of teenage characters. Like, one teenage character in the game, he drowns. 
He drowns. You pick him up, and she says, what's your deal? He goes, I didn't know how to swim. Nobody taught me how to swim, so I went to war thinking I could do that. That See, I could that, just figure it out. That, that's a young, that, that's know, still a young, young person's story. And, story. and for those of you playing the drinking game, Valkyrie profile example. Uh, <laughs> you know I'm right. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm not doubting you. Oh, please. The drinking game for Atelier references. <laughs> I think is higher. <laughs> are much, much, much. They're, they're so far gone relative to the references. Oh. Not very I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, I appreciate the games. I'm sorry, where the teenagers, you know. When they come into maturity, it comes in nice and hard, and it's something you can relate to. But, I mean, it's still a juvenile thing. Uh, to an extent, absolutely. You're not taking Valkyrie Profile away from me, because that is totally not a teen thing. Valkyrie <laughs> Profile is so teen thing. You know why it's a teen thing? Because you it got fell in... teen? No, because you fell in love with it at when you were 14, and you'll never let it go. Just like hey. your alkaline trios, and your... <laughs> I... <laughs> I, might, I think I'm gonna push back again because, it, and I hate doing that this podcast, but um, no, it's allowed. It's your job, Trent. It's the, your job. The things that we highlight in JRPGs as being juvenile, uh, fully grown adults in Japan are are still very much interested in, and I'm yeah, sure they absolutely. very much embrace it. We, I, I don't know if it is the sociological thing where. From Western culture, we assume that when we become adults, we don't awake at things. But it's not, I don't think it's perceived as juvenile to Eastern no, no, audiences. I, I actually, I totally agree with you in that sense because you know what? I feel like this is where I almost wish we had Gaijin on the show because I actually think he would be able to explain this better than a well, lot of hopefully us. Hopefully, he'll post a sweet ass comment about this. <laughs> but you know what? Trent, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think in some cases, there's a reason why parents allow their kids to play those types of games in Japan and are okay with it. They're, they are kind of, in a way, learning. If they're not reading a book, hey, they're, they're learning narrative tropes from the games that they play. And there's obviously yeah. a reason why certain games have lasted as long as they have, like Final Fantasy, like the Atelier series. They have gone on for such a long time in Japan. Why? Because they obviously do something that works for Japanese audiences that keeps the same level of connection. I have I have a point that we haven't really touched on as far as this sure. goes. The one thing it seems to focus on nowadays is we're talking about story or we're talking about the visual look or the style or the characters or the setting of these games. You're going to talk about I, gameplay. I don't, have, I don't have any problem with a Neptunia game. I don't have any problem with a game that looks like, you know... You know, Sinran Kagura, anything like that, that part doesn't bother me. What bothers me is, like you said, the gameplay on these is mm -hmm. dull and tedious and just mind-numbingly boring to me. I but don't love... worry, we've got 15 would... Byzantine subsystems yeah. for you to master. Yeah, I, yeah that's I the There are so many. So, just like Scott said, there are so many of these RPGs that mm -hmm. just want to give you 15 hours of tutorials because there's system upon system upon system because for some reason complexity must mean quality or and no well, that's or not like the case they, they can they confuse breadth with depth oh and yeah there's no i don't enjoy that whatsoever i've tried to play either. you know like fairy fencer f i've tried playing the two neptunia uh, games that have hit the you didn't, and you didn't even play mugen souls and uh, mugen souls had it i think no, that one didn't hit me. No, no, but I was going to say, but Trent, <laughs> do you remember how many you got to? Because I think I had gotten up to about, I think it was 13 systems in in Mugen Souls. <laughs> it was something that was ridiculous it was, it was, like that. And it it wouldn't have been as jarring like had they not put these massive tutorials up. Like, we're going we're gonna to fill a screen full of text, only explain the subsystem once and expect you to roll with it. Yeah. Like, ugh. I'll tell you this and much. And, and that, that was a case of a game um, that was not complex. That was, was Trying to behave like complex. it was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what was the joke in it? It was like the unneedlessly complex system or something every time a new one came up. Like there was yeah, a, yeah. that horrible joke that would come up that you would just kind of cringe at every time because it's like, this is not a funny joke. This really no, doesn't it, need to be here. Like, just yeah, because not you a joke, made a joke, a real thing. Just yeah. because you made a joke about a sewer level at the start of the game doesn't mean you get a pass for setting your entire game in the sewer. Yeah. yeah. And, well, and that was kind of that was kind of the trend with the. Whole, I tried to 
communicate this in the impression that I wrote for Mooch and Soul Z, but it was a basis to explain away its problems, and they're fundamental design problems. Oh, like, just because Just because you, you point at your own battle system and say, ha-ha, this is ridiculous, it doesn't make sense that we developed it like this, doesn't mean it's acceptable that you developed it like this. And the Bard's Tale made a joke about a whole bunch of RPG tropes, and it was still fun to play. <laughs> and, you know, and this is just it. I mean, we've talked a lot about compile heart games in particular because they are they a are the worst sort of offenders. For it. It's not that they're worst offender, but they're the most predominant. Yes, they are. They're everywhere. That's you know, what we're getting. I'm, I'm <laughs> laughing because I, I they, they are what is holding us back from the mainstream. Yes, compile heart. I you know what? them in their moe. But Max's not wrong because another game that's kind of a bad offender of this was Fantasy Life. Fantasy Life loved to throw tutorials at you, especially anytime you changed your life. You had to have another long-winded tutorial before you could just get on with doing the life. And the worst part was a lot of the lives played the same. Like, they would have similar button mappings. So it's not like it felt new to learn in any way. If anything, it's yeah. just like you're basically repeating the same information for a different thing. <laughs> and that's like, thing mining too. and fishing have the same button, but yeah. I still had two tutorials for How it. How I mine for fish. <laughs> but on, on tutorial, you know, going into this, and just like I said, you know, if there was a Neptunia game that had, like, Final Fantasy XII's combat system, it'd be one of my favorite games ever. I don't care about the MOE, but Looking at these, they'll tutorial you to death, they'll needlessly complex you to death, and that's one thing I appreciate about, you know, like the Final Fantasy XV demo that just hit, is it was straightforward. You know, there was there was some complexity in the system, but you didn't have to go through hours and hours of explanation as to what you're doing. You know, you had combat that you know, had some depth to it. You could learn a little bit here and a little bit there as you went along, yeah. but you didn't have to stop every five seconds to be taught, oh, and now we're introducing the super-duper complex ultra, you know, doo-doo system. You know, who cares? <laughs> you know, I don't. It's I like, like just play like, the don't game. Tell. Yeah. And, that, and that's a big problem. At the final boss. <laughs> and that, that for me has actually been one of my biggest issues lately with the PS3 JRPGs is they love to bog you down with the tutorials. Funny enough, as much as I hated Time and Eternity, that was a great example where it showed you everything all at once. It was still a horrible game, but you got everything at once and then the game said, okay, go. Well, something actually, one that's actually worthy of praise in terms of presenting gameplay was that uh, Eternal Sonata. This, the storytelling was slow and ponderous and terrible 90s anime all over the place, but every chapter they tightened up the battle system, they made it harder, you, they they asked you to learn how to do it, and yeah. then they took well, a training wheel off on it. And even look at the Tales series, it does the exact same thing. No, even beyond what Tales does. Oh no, I, I would say, because I, I haven't played it's... Eternal Sonata, admittedly, but, you yeah, know, even the, the Tales series is good Sonata's for that as well. Series. You know, yeah. once they give you the tutorial, they say go, and if yeah. they add an extra layer, it's not like it's a complicated extra layer, it's like, okay, tap this extra yeah. button to make no, you know, like I was I'm literally gonna, learning new things to... and adjusting how I play. Oh, see, now that's cool. I, like I said, I, I admit. I'm going to pull a print in this case and push back on that because I'll say <laughs> I'll fully agree with Scott on this, that Eternal Sonata versus Tails, when it came to that, Tails has a level of complexity even above Eternal Sonata. But Eternal Sonata wasn't what I'd call shallow. It had a, just a, a solid enough combat system that gave you just enough and grew just enough over time gave you enough variety in your characters to where you had different play styles depending on which party you had set up. And it just, it worked. That's why I really, really liked that game so much was it was fun to play. You know, yeah. story, genericness aside, it was enjoyable. You didn't have any tedium to it. It was fun. Until you got okay. to the chapter breaks and it just stopped to give you biography in text, which was a stupid thing to do. Well, you can't I have a question. Out. Question. Yes. Um, so, with reference to Eternal Sonata and Tales and the Compile Heart games, how many of you think that the presence of anime has an, a negative uh, impact on the way well, non-JRPGers approach 
JRPGs. I think there, it there's goes always, both ways. There's always going to be a bunch of people who are going to say this is anime bullshit, no matter what. If it if it's on Adult Swim, they're going to hate it. They're going to hate it in their game store. They're going to hate it. I don't know in the comic book section. Well, so a lot. Well, you know what? Actually, <laughs> Just the answer. But we at have... the same time, I think there's always going to be. Uh, Funimation has an amazing phrase saying, there's an eight-year-old born every day. And they use it to justify constantly re-releasing Dragon Ball Z. But there's there's this, there, there's always hope for a better acceptance of it. Well, and I think there's there's this weird thing where I think everyone expected um, Nino Kuni to catch on because it was the air quotes Ghibli game. Because everyone loves Ghibli even if they don't love anime. And, That's true. And it didn't work. And it didn't work because it actually wasn't Ghibli. Well, yeah. I, I am reminded of the fact that you and I have a friend, for an example, who he does not play a lot of RPGs. He's a big anime fan, oddly enough, but he just, for whatever reason, JRPGs just don't do it for him. The one series he actually will play is the Tales series, and it's because, for him... It's because it's like anime. Yeah. It's it's like playing anime, and also, you know, for him, he looks at it and he goes, it's got the right level of complexity for him to enjoy, whereas, you know, he's told us before, it's like, oh, I tried this and it just didn't work for me, or, you know, I tried Final Fantasy and See, I couldn't get into it. And it, it's just kind of funny, like, that that's the one, for an example, for him, that just magically worked. Well, and he's also a giant Bandai fanboy on several levels. I mean, he reviews Gundam it's model true. kits for YouTube. Um, but, you know, I also look at my nephew. My nephew, who doesn't play RPGs at all, he found Xenoblade, and Xenoblade became his drug for yeah, almost a couple months because oh, that was that's the a one new... I really want to talk up here. <laughs> well, okay, truthfully, well, okay, I was I was I was I was going to comment on this too, just because I I am very much not a fan of anime. The few animes that I've watched and enjoy had to do with giant robots fighting other giant robots, which um, JRPGs don't give us enough of. It, which they don't. No, uh, except Mugen Souls on the off. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, Souls. the Tales series. With relation to the Tales series, um, it plays out like an anime, and that's specifically why I don't like it. I the way that the characters talk, because they talk in the same way cliched anime characters talk. I don't like the animation style itself. None of it jives with me. But I like JRPGs. But I can understand why people would look at JRPGs and say, hey, there's this, this weird analogy I've found that... Um... You know, people who read X-Men comics were there when they were 12 are still reading X-Men comics. And people who read Naruto when they were 12 are reading all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And I think there is sort of this rut people get into where, you know, there are guys playing COD who are going to play COD forever. And I think JRPG fans have broadened yeah. out and seen different things. And maybe they're demanding something to stop being like goddamn Mugen Souls. You know what? I had an experience like that in the library world, just as an aside. When I was at my placement, I had a teenager who had read all the manga on the shelf. And he just said, he goes, I think I'm beyond this. And I said, well, what's the problem? He goes, like, he's like, I'm just, I loved it once and I, now I need something different. I took him to superhero comics and he ended up taking out, like, any, anything and everything I handed him. Why? Because it was a new kind of drug. Um, there's my library aside for this episode. Sorry. But, you know, it... It's just funny the way in which we develop our tastes and the way in which they change. I mean, I used to love anime. Now I barely watch it. And it's because of the trappings that Trent's brought up. I just have a hard time yeah. with that now. Well, which... what about the popularity of something like Xenoblade? Where do you think that has come from? Do you think it is I closer think... to mainstream or do you think it is still I think in it its is... own little niche? I think it's in its niche, I but I think it's very well designed. I think I think a lot of people want to pat themselves on the back for Xenoblade being a hit. I haven't played Xenoblade, so I'm actually going to stay out of this one. Uh, I played, I've enjoyed it to some extent. And the, I think the reception of the three version of Xenoblade highlights the fact that it's not as good of a game as everyone claimed it was. I think that there was some sort of serendipity attached to it being localized. Honestly, I think. I, and I question its popularity. I, I would love to know how many units it actually sold, because I can't see it selling well over a million units, well, I, in all I, honesty. Well, it sold its 10,000 on the Wii, 
And um, yeah, I don't know what the numbers now. I don't think we have the numbers yet for the 3DS because it's still it's still, only Friday. It's, it's still too new for uh, the 3DS. But I think there's a rush to pat every, the, the, there's a rush in JRPG fans to pat themselves on the back for Xenoblade because we made it happen. Air quotes. And I think um, whereas they did that for the last story, and then they were kind of upset with it. Yeah, and I mean, well, I can say this much: I don't give a crap about making it happen. I think I know, it was me too. probably. Uh, I just love the fact that it had the Western sensibilities in the JRPG landscape. And, you know, it might not be as popular. It really is probably just still niche within the niche. But I think quality-wise, it really does stand up in okay. some areas. So it, I think we've come to... So, I mean, I think we're coming to the conclusion that uh, JRPGs are in a pretty good, healthy place. And the good ones will be good, and maybe people will clue into that. I just think it's kind of interesting that, you know, with all the new JRPGs we've been getting in the last couple of years, there haven't really been that many that I would say people are telling you, hey, you should go out and play. I can't really think of that many, like, outside of the Souls games, where, like I said, they have their own little cult. They, they, and don't, Persona have games. they don't have evangelists. They don't have evangelists But, anymore. I mean, if you look at, like, all the stuff Xseed puts out, they put out some a really interesting variety you know, they have their Ease fans, for an example, and they are such a loyal bunch. But then they're going to put out something like um, Kinky No Magna, which I guess is the Heaven Maiden thingy, um, which was made by Rune Factory people. And I'm sorry, but I can't see that one doing very well. But, you know, we'll see. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the numbers look like when the game actually releases. All right, so Mac, your final thoughts? Yeah, I think it is improving. It is definitely getting into the place where starting up in this next generation of things, you know, we just saw the announcement of Star Ocean mm-hmm. 5 for PS3 and PS4. And while, you know, it still has the whole anime aesthetics, well, I think that it has still a lot could of, be it has such a niche game. That, that has and, a lot of dead horse tropes in it. Now, are these my final thoughts or are these your final thoughts? Wow. <laughs> The sad um, part is I will probably buy it and still play it. These are Sam's final thoughts. That's it. Um, Sorry, sweetheart. <laughs> that's okay. Um, but no, I think I didn't want to. That was the reason I was hesitant to pull that up because I figured it would probably be a bit of a distraction. But whether or not it falls in the same category as, you know, The Last Hope and really does not do anything impressive and ends up having a story that's more good than anything, who knows? At this point, you know, it does have some of the same similarities. You still have the same visual style. You still have the characters that could be, or whatever. But I think that's at least a direction that we're heading back in. Maybe it's ramping up, whether it gets all the way to the top of the roller coaster and goes down and has a fun little loop, or whether it just falls backwards and crashes on itself. We won't see for a little while, but it's at least go in that direction now, and I, I'm happy to see it move that way with, you know, like Xenoblade X, uh, Final Fantasy XV, uh, Shin Megami Tensei Cross Fire Emblem, which is not really Fire Emblem, but it's like or Persona not. with Fire Emblem characters, <laughs> you know. Persona 5. Those kind of things. You know, Persona 5, yeah, how can I forget that Persona one? Persona 5. And, you know, the whole indie JRPG creation where well, you have a bunch of American folks that are making... I bring that up. Yeah, that are making JRPGs. You know, you know I, I think it's going in a good direction. You know, and I wonder about those ones. Like, there's obviously this passion to recapture what JRPGs were in some ways. You look at the Z-Boyd games, and they are wonderfully crafted for the most part. Um, you know, and you can tell that they have taken the aesthetics of what made a good JRPG and transplanted it into their stories or their, you know, their ideas. And I'm You're spinning this off into a second I thing and I just want Trent's you. final thoughts. Sorry. Well, I was going to say that um, I am very much in favor of new people becoming fans of JRPGs and joining the niche as it were. Uh, but overcome uh, over time I've come to realize that uh, just because it's a niche doesn't mean that's a bad thing and uh in as much as i would love to see more people enjoy the same games that i enjoy i'm not going to shed any tears if the games that i enjoy aren't uh receiving the attention i think that they probably deserve uh simply because they are the way they are um and as much as i agree that good games uh somewhat high profile games as far as we are concerned are on the horizon 
I don't think the general mainstream is going to care much about Persona 5. I don't think it's going to care much about Xenoblade Chronicles X. I don't think it's going to care much about Final Fantasy 15 even. And that's those are big names as far as I'm sure we're all concerned. Um, but it's irrelevant. You know, as long as the games are good and they have their audiences and they turn a profit, That's everyone's happy, right? Yeah. Yep. I'll be interested to see, you know, the sales numbers when those hit. Just, I agree with you. I don't think they're going to be as big as some of the other stuff, but I'd still just be curious to see how they do. <laughs> well, that's always the interest, right? Okay. You always want to see how something does. <laughs> All right. So that, that, those are our thoughts on that. And um, there's probably going to be two spinoff topics coming out of this discussion down the road, and it's okay. But uh, until then, uh, feedback from the last two episodes, because we dropped a real episode and a special. So, um, Mac, you have special feedback you've not elected to share with us, so what do you have to say? Yes, because I just thought of the feedback at the start of this episode and didn't want to derail it right away. Okay. Having gone back and listened to our um, April Fool's, (laughs) like, blooper reel, the more I think that that was probably like one of the best episodes for me. <laughs> so I'm thinking no more blooper reel. Let's just make it a best of reel and keep all the bloopers in from now on. <laughs> Do you want me to just start appending the silly fun stuff to the post credits or should I just keep a reel or should I just run the reel periodically for funsies? Oh, just keep it in. You know, I think that's the, entertainment part See, of a no, lot of podcasts. I, I realize that, that that is fun and people like it, but that's not the mission no. statement I have for this show. I don't mean in the middle of it, you know, like at the end, like you said, yeah. just kind of tag things on that could be entertaining at the end when people that want a little extra, it just adds a little more personality okay. than I so, think you so we're gonna get. Okay, we're going to be the Jackie Chan movie scenario where from now yeah. on, after, after our outro credits, you can sit and hear Sam and I be silly on mics. No, thank you. You can be silly by yourself. I have the recording, and unless you're going to start editing, I control what silly goes where. Yes, sir. Okay. And Trent, did you get any special feedback? Nothing in particular, no. Okay, so, okay, for the real episode... Hey, there was the Kelsey feedback. Yeah, Kelsey is... Kelsey's excited to be famous. (laughs) She was very proud of herself. She is very pleased, yeah. Don't take it away from her, Trent. Not so much crispy. Well, that's because crispy is yet to appear, except me mentioning it and calling her crispy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, but okay, so in terms of real feedback in our episode, our last real episode about fan entitlement, uh, there was um, Tex. Tex had actually brought up a good point about Kickstarter being sort of a special circumstance, and I left that out of that episode because it's going to be an episode in the next two or three months because I think. That's an entire kettle of fish that's we that deserves a, a unpacking on its own. So, so thanks for the suggestion. So you know, you, your your comments have been heard, and we will definitely get to there. As for the April Fool's Day, I mean, um, thanks for noticing. I edit these. It, it, I it, yeah, I don't get a chance to show that off much because if you do it right, no one really ever knows. I thought that was actually impressive that someone actually took the time to say something like that because there's a lot of podcasts out there that just kind of go up as is and you know it goes up as is. And I know being the wife of the host, the amount of time and effort that Scott puts into putting out a really good product. And he deserves and, a little bit more appreciation. So we are like very it, thankful. Uh, there are definitely means out there to buy me a beer. Yes. <laughs> We, we accept beer as a payment. Beer is the best payment. <laughs> or pictures of puppies. I'll take that. Send Sam, Sam, Sam pictures of puppies. I need beer. Yeah, he, like he lives with me. I like unfiltered ales. He lives with me. Helps. Of course he needs a beer. And apparently people are deeply disturbed by our lack of pants. So I guess just one last time for, for the record, who's not wearing pants right now? Show of hands. I like to keep the intrigue. <laughs> the mystery is what really keeps this relationship alive. Okay, and so our closing little question is, so CD Projekt has always been firmly committed to the idea of free DLC, except when it's an expansion, in which case you should give us more money for The Witcher 3. Is this a betrayal of principles, or is this them getting super ambitious? No clue. I... 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 
I, I find it hard to call it a betrayal of principles considering the amount of manpower and money that goes into yeah. developing a full expansion for a game. It'd be a little bit ridiculous for someone to expect that something which probably costs an upwards of $500,000 to develop is going to be just given away for free. Except, you know what, in three years... It's, 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 one thing, it's one thing to get a free download of horse armor. Yeah. It's a it's a different thing completely to get eight hours of extra content. Well, and I yeah. and I mean, if if it really upsets you, you know that in two years they're gonna give away The Witcher Three for free. It's just a <laughs> game of the year edition. Or no, just on GOG. Yeah, that, that that's the thing. Sometimes. Just pay attention to your GOG email, and you'll just get it for free somehow. It's true. <laughs> I'll go ahead and say that I don't find it necessarily a betrayal. It did seem kind of odd that they were so adamant about initially saying, you know, all DLC will be free. Except when this. <laughs> what they really need needed to have said is, you know, we're not nickeling and diming you like every other company out there wants to do. We're going to give you updates for free. We're going to give you extra quests for when, free. We're going to, if we come out with more equipment is worth money, we will charge you free. money for it. And, yeah. And, and I what think that's a good principle is, to have. We're coming out with two expansions that are going to add dramatic additional content to the game that's not what we're considering you know dlc nickel dime you know micro transaction type stuff new we're... hats for gerald five dollars yeah. please <laughs> i think they were in a no-win situation either way but I, I think the fact that you know what that they were they had sort of almost announced an expansion pack for the witcher 2 that would have been paid but they ended up pulling that in favor of having more team on Witcher 3. So I think this this is a move that has been coming, and I think we'll see something similar with uh, Cyberpunk 2077, and... Uh, I want to know what's going on with that, other than I guess it's still in development. Well, I mean, once, once the production winds down on The Witcher 3, I'm sure we'll have a lot of bodies on that, and I am excited for it, because it's Cyberpunk that's Cyberpunk. Obviously, leave all your comments on board.rpgamer.com, and leave completely subjective, biased-to-death reviews on iTunes or your uh, podcatching distribution service of choice. And or feel free to tweet us with things. What you like, what you didn't like. Not, and feel free to not listen to the podcast and simply comment on <laughs> the topic at hand. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Like, comment, and subscribe. I'm Buy me a beer. And I'm still the cute one, so... Good night, everybody. The Active Topical Banter Show is an RP Gamer production, all rights reserved. Visit rpgamer.com for contact info, discussions, and other great content. Music by Nubuo Oematsu, arrangements courtesy of ocremix.com. Yes, she was yeah. <laughs> at random. I didn't credit her. I'll uh, I'll update that. Famous. You are famous. Yeah. <laughs> this is a pretty special moment in our household. The whole discussion was hilarious. Well, I just I, I still love uh, what was it when you called it RPG gamer? Like no no no, <laughs> panic attack. I thought that was just adorable. <laughs> I was so disappointed in myself. You were like, I guess you don't know where you work, Trent. No. It's okay. You don't so know how many times me. Mac goes on a show and they will call it that. And he will just like, you can just hear in his voice how you cranky he is. You can hear the teeth grit. He's like, I learned your site's name. Learn mine. Of so. course, the joy is is that uh, that particular URL is up for grabs. Yep. So, like, if, if the Black Shackens hooker's scenario does arise. I'm buying that. I think you're gonna Yeah. RPGs. Don't mind me, I'm loopy. I wouldn't go that far. She just burped at me and farted at me. Yeah, that sounds exactly like what we did, like what Sam does It's broken. You take me as I am. I don't know. You have it right, Kelsey. You have it right. I don't I, I refuse to take your guess. I'm honest in everything about myself, so if I have to burp, I'm going to do it.
That's not honesty. I have to burp again. I'm oh sorry. my! Oh my god! <laughs> Thank God we're saving this for blooper real part two. Why is sushi making you burp? I don't know. Jesus, Mirin. It's like the deep fried goodness. It always is the deep fried goodness with me as well. Oh God, it's so good. It's so good going down, but your butt and oh, your yeah. burps are not as happy. It's so gross coming back up. Yep. Uh, so sexy. You are sexy, Kelsey. Let's face it. Those burps Thank and farts, you. they're just perfect in every way. Trent doesn't know what he's got. <laughs> yeah, really. Keeping it real. <laughs> One thing. Boogers. Oh, that's true love. You know, it's my favorite word. Ah. <laughs> and you just made everybody uncomfortable, sweetheart. Good job. We're just trying not to egg it on. <laughs> everyone's gone pee and got a beverage and not wearing pants. Yes. I'm carrying my laptop anyway, so... I'm wearing pajama pee. pants. I am also wearing pajama pants because I don't believe in being pantsless. Well, that's kind of what I mean when I say... I got know, my jammy pants. Pants off podcast. Jammies. Because after this, I'm going to bed.